0: In 2001, Mike Cannon-Brooks sent an email to his college friends in Sydney. He was asking if anyone wanted to help him start a tech company after they finished school. The only person who responded was Scott Farquhar. Together, they started Atlassian with $10,000 in credit card debt. And 20 years later, they built it into a $50 billion company and one of the 20 biggest software companies on the planet alongside Oracle, Microsoft, Salesforce, and so on. You're going to want to listen till the end, because this story is surprising in a very special way. I'm Marilyn. CEO and founder of Cosmic Centaurs, and you're listening to the fifth episode of the third season of this weekly live video series called Center Stage. It is ingrained in human nature to love a good story. In my years of experience and learning and studying, I've collected a number of those from companies and leaders who've either succeeded brilliantly or failed tragically, and the lessons we can learn from these stories. In this third season, we dive deep into tales of triumph and tragedy, sharing lessons learned from companies and leaders who faced incredible challenges. Today, we're following the story of two not best friends who bootstrapped their way to success. Atlassian is a $50 billion company founded in 2002 by Mike Cannon-Brooks and Scott Barcahar, two college mates who met while studying computer science at the University of New South Wales in Australia. In 1998, they were both enrolled on the same scholarship. It sparked the beginning of a friendship, although by their own admission, they weren't really friends at first. But they did share intellectual curiosity and ambition. And at the end of that program, which was funded by Australian companies, they were required to join one of these companies. Instead, they developed Atlassian. They were so committed to that goal that Scott rejected a position at PwC, paying him $48,500 a year. The day he rejected that offer, they decided that their goal meant two things. One, that they should be able to earn more than $48,500. And two, that they'd never have to wear a suit at work. And together they launched Atlassian, starting off with tech support service that they managed from their bedrooms at all hours of the night. They named the company Atlassian because it's derived from Greek mythology, the titan Atlas. And as per the mythology, Atlas was punished by Zeus to hold up the heavens, symbolizing endurance and eternal service. And they liked that symbolism, thought it was a fitting name for a company that aspired to carry the weight of its customer needs. At first, it was just the two of them providing tech support, and they worked from their bedroom day and night, but they weren't making any money. So Scott and Mike decided to do something different. They started selling some of the software that they'd made for their own use. This led to the launch of Jira. It was a tool for tracking bugs and later managing projects, establishing workflows. It's now used for all kinds of things, from delivering pizzas to exploring Mars. The name Jira, these guys can sure name a product, comes from Godzilla, or the Japanese for Godzilla, which makes sense because it goes hand-in-hand with squashing software bugs. Now, in 2002, remember, this was just after the dot-com bubble, launching a startup in Australia really wasn't a thing. So the co-founders started it by using Mike's credit card debt of $10,000. And if you worked in the tech world in the very early 2000s, you might remember how difficult it was to use collaboration and project management tools. I joined the industry in 2009, and even then, you couldn't find a decent bug tracking software for miles, outside of Jira, of course. Mike and Staccott, being developers themselves, understood the struggle of working with teams in tech. They knew very well that there weren't any good products on the market that helped to solve these problems, so they created and launched their own. It took them six months and that $10,000 to push the first version of Jira out. In the early days, their sales target was to sell one yearly license of $800 a week so they could cover their costs. With that kind of money, they couldn't afford marketing or sales, so they went to Guerrilla. They'd attend conferences and leave flyers around, hand out business cards. At a big conference in Belgium, they bought beer for all the attendees and stuck Atlassian stickers on them, and everyone knew who they were. It reminds me of our early days at Cosmic Centers, and I'm not ashamed to say I still do that quite often, where I would literally send a WhatsApp with a link to every LinkedIn post I posted to everybody I know to ask for their support. They were also early adopters of Google Ads at a time when CPC was very affordable. But for a long time, they had a no salespeople rule. For the most part, they had a build it and they will come philosophy. They wanted to build products so good, so easy to use, that they would sell themselves. you got to remember, most of their clients were actually in the US, whereas they were in Australia. So sales team wasn't going to help. Scott once stated in an interview that he and Mike were not anti-sales, but that they are pro-automation. In his words, we take an engineer's philosophy to everything that we do. That's one of the earliest instances of product-led growth in the industry. That meant low cost, high quality product range that appealed to a broad set of customers. And it also meant that they grew their portfolio beyond Jira to include dozens of other solutions like Confluence, a collaboration platform for teams, Trello, which they later purchased, many others, as well as a marketplace. Rather than invest the money in teams that would focus on sales, they focused on building their portfolio of products. All of which truly understand and solve challenges that developers and teams face at work. So this is the logic. You build great products. You keep prices low. Because your prices are low, you need volume. Volume means you need to sell to everybody. Selling to everybody means you got to sell online. Selling online means great pricing and an easy trial. And an easy trial means you got to build a great product because it has to convert for itself. That bet paid off. Three years after launching, they were profitable. By June 2006, they had 4,340 customers and 50 staff in Sydney and San Francisco, who developed, supported, marketed Jira and Confluence. Now, taking the leap to develop another product after Jira's triumph was a gamble, as numerous startup businesses usually concentrate solely on a product. Splitting resources might have led both products to failing, but the team trusted Jira's user satisfaction, and they realized that there was more that they could bring. The strategy of launching multiple products was fruitful for Jira, although unconventional. As Mike puts it, we had two rocket engines driving us along, not just one. By 2007, Atlassian's headcount nearly doubled again to 98. It booked revenues of 22.5 million for the year. Four years after launch, the Atlassian Foundation was created with a pledge to donate 1% of equity, product profit, and employee time to charitable causes. And it's been there since then. By the 2010s, Atlassian had 20,000 customers, including Facebook, Adobe, Now, it's probably obvious by this point that Scott and Mike strongly valued patience. They were in it for the long game. They wanted to remain bootstrapped for as long as possible, but they were also reasonable. And they knew that in order to build a long-lasting company, they'd need to raise money and go public at some point in their journey. It wasn't until eight years in, in 2010, that they raised $60 million in secondary funding from ASL Partners eight years after starting the company. The team stated that the capital would go towards M&A and other enterprise tools. They were going to continue growing their portfolio. That bet that they made, they were really going to stick to it. Five years later, in 2015, they went public with a market cap of nearly $5.8 billion. Scott said, we want to build a 50-year company. Going public is one step on that journey because there are very few long-term companies that are private. At the end of that first trading day, shares were up by more than 32%. Now, despite this, the public was skeptical of their atypical structure. Many news articles from that time warned readers the IPO is a boon for the US, but maybe not for Australia. The company is profitable for now. And that the company was unlikely to be a bellwether for technology IPOs in 2016. Now, Atlassian wasn't only atypical in their go-to market, adding new products, focusing on product-led growth. They also had a unique structure, having two founders and CEOs. It was a unique quirk, but it was instrumental in the success of the Australian firm. It allowed it to carve a place for itself in this very cutthroat industry, Um, their products having become so entrenched that large companies may find it impossible to transition away. Now, Mike and Scott's lives are heavily intertwined. They were born a month apart. They became fathers within a three-month span. They were each other's best men, and they own neighboring properties in Sydney. Actually, Scott even created a hole in the fence so their children can play together. And one day a week, they pick up their children at school together and take the ferry home. In Scott's words... Our stock ticker is TEAM, and so yes, that's our essence. It was quite helpful for them as co-founders to be at the same life phases at the same time. When they were poor, they were poor together. They got married, had kids, at around the same time. And being at the same stage meant they had a lot of empathy for each other. Today, Mike directs the engineering, product, and design sectors, and Scott looks after legal, HR, finance, sales, marketing, and customers. Scott describes his role as being akin to being the grandparent, letting Mike handle the tantrums. But when it comes to allocating tasks, this isn't always how they've divided work, but they try to weigh in both competence and enjoyment. Previously, for 15 years, Mike did oversee marketing and sales, and Scott has once been in charge of engineering. Each of them has at different times run the whole company or taken substantial breaks. In fact, Farquhar took a three-month hiatus at some point to journey through northwestern Australia in a caravan with his family. Now, the dual CEO model is not unique, but it's quite rare. But companies like Autodesk, Ceridian, Oracle, SAP, Workday, Salesforce have all tried it, including Goldman Sachs, I think. A Harvard Business Review article on the topic does, you know, describe that conventional wisdom has favoured the notion of a single strong leader in companies. Actually, there's an anecdote that I really love about the human anatomy, which is that for the longest time, and actually, maybe I should ask you this question, give you a second to reflect, how many brains do you think we have as humans? I bet you said one. Well, actually, for the longest time, that's what anatomy books said. And it wasn't because we hadn't discovered that, in fact, we have three in our head, in our heart, in our gut. That's why we say, make a decision with your heart. Or with your gut. But because we had this focus on decision-making coming only from, quote-unquote, the top, the brain, that's why we've built all of our organizations to have a single CEO. Now, co-CEO leadership is a rarity, and less than 100 of the 2,200 companies listed in the S&P um, actually have co-CEOs. But this article looked at 87 of those publicly traded companies. It revealed that companies... That have more than one CEO typically yield greater shareholder value by as much as 40% higher than the index average. The article suggests that with suitable conditions, co-CEOs can be really effective. They can offer diverse skills, experiences, viewpoints. They have the ability to be in two different places at the same time. They can have a balanced partnership, maybe one focusing on tech-driven change, the other handling the traditional business, One can concentrate on internal matters, the other can focus externally, and together they can successfully handle an increasingly intricate and complex world that today's CEOs are expected to understand and lead in, including things like investor relations, regulatory compliance, and so on. Now, what this article doesn't study is the added benefit of those two CEOs eventually being friends, which is clearly something that has worked in the favor of Atlassian. There's an anecdote that stuck with me from one of their interviews. They said that before they went public, the way that they would solve disagreements was by playing rock, paper, scissors. They said that they were incentivized never to get to that point because Scott would always lose. So it forced them to have good communication. Now, this anecdote may sound silly, but it tells you that the friendship was important because it allowed them to get to common grounds in ways that were simple, where their ego wasn't at play, playing a simple game of rock, paper, scissors. Now imagine two co-CEOs that take themselves very seriously and don't have that kind of friendship towards one another and how they would have dealt with that situation. And human relationships and teams are really at the heart of Atlassian's world. They are deeply invested in improving team dynamics, their own and others. It's rooted in that belief that effective teamwork is a crucial aspect of successful software development, project management. They recognize that the human factor, the way people work together, connect with one another, is just as important as the technology used. So they've made it part of their mission to share insights, provide guidance on how to build effective teams. To this end, they provide a range of resources aimed at enhancing team dynamics. If you go on our website, you'll find blog posts, guides, webinars, tools designed to boost team collaboration, all of which are published on their blog, Work Life. This content covers a wide range of topics from setting team goals and roles to great communication to resolving conflict, inclusive culture, trust, engaging, um, and encouraging continuous learning. And if you go on their website, you'll find a great team playbook. Um, it's a free resource. It provides a collection of what they call plays or practices that have been proven in their own experience to enhance teams, retrospectives, sparring sessions, a team health monitor, many other plays are included. In addition to that focus on the human connection, Atlassian is also one of those companies that have been very clear about their values from early days Actually, what happened is they hired the first 50 people and then those 50 people hire the next 50 people. And they realized that the next 50 people just didn't have the right values. And then they thought maybe it's because we haven't documented them. So very early on in their journey, they wrote down their values. Play as a team, of course. Open company, no bullshit. Be the change that you seek. I love this one. Everybody's responsible for making change. Everybody's a mature adult. Build with heart and balance. And then don't bullshit the customer. And what I love about how this company works with its values is that it takes them very seriously, which is why it doesn't focus on putting them up on the walls, but really on embedding them into work, culture, communication, hiring practices, They use these values to guide decision-making, collaboration, risk-taking. They're also incredibly significant as a reason for why people want to join Atlassian. Because this company encourages shared beliefs, meaningful conversations, open comms, they're all guided by these values. When they recruit, they look to make sure that there's value alignment within their candidates. For example, candidates might be asked about past project that didn't go as planned, how they addressed it, typical question. But there is always someone on the panelist assessing the answer based on the values and the values alignment. And I think it's a really important aspect of what allowed Atlassian to grow quite gracefully. And now, for the cliffhanger you've all been waiting for. Actually, the cliffhanger is there's no cliffhanger. I know that we love stories with drama and tragedy and pits and peaks, and I'm sure that Atlassian has had its share of both. But also, maybe there is a lesson that not all startup story have to have a lot of drama in them. Maybe disciplined, focused, patient execution is what matters. Maybe it doesn't matter that you go against convention and do one product more products than one. Maybe it doesn't matter that you go against convention and you put in two CEOs instead of one. I'm sure that if they had raised VC money in the early days and told VC with no record that they were just going to go and start building as many products as they could, no one would have given them money. So believing in that vision and slowly, painfully, in a disciplined way, working on it is sometimes the right way to go. Forget the drama. I hope you enjoyed the story. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Marilyn Zakauer, and you're listening to Center Stage Season 3, where I share with you the challenges leaders face and how they address them to inspire you to make better decisions about your organization. The team at Cosmic Centers frequently posts articles about the employee experience, leadership, the future of work on CosmicCenters.com, as well as on our socials. Please follow us and make sure you subscribe to our newsletter to keep up with our news And with this series, join me again next week as we explore Spotify's high note, fine tuning, flexible work.